Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Good evening, my fine feathered friends. This is Alan Averill. This is Tuesday's rock and roll, heavy metal, whatever you want to call it, extravaganza. A little chat about the world of heavy metal and rock and bits and pieces about the music industry, sometimes even a little bit of gossip. All those kind of things. There's not really any fixed time schedule to Tuesday's show. It just sort of drops into the ether when it drops into the ether. You will feel it floating in your transom, so to speak. And then you may check your phone and you will go, ah, some more rambling nonsense from that man from Ireland. The man from Ireland. That's a good name for a some sort of pastoral, rural um, themed Maybe farming show. If anybody wants to hit me up, we can uh, look into making it. Anyway, Tuesday's little 20-odd minutes of nonsense. What are we going to talk about? First of all, if you want to follow me on Instagram, nemtheango underscore primordial. If you want to follow primordial, primordial underscore official. Um, if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash Alan Averill, capital A, and then A-V-E or I-L-L. It's a Norman surname. It means the man who shall conquer in April. Yes, indeed. Um, you can, therefore, go back and work out my ancestry and heraldry, if you do so wish. Answers on a postcard. Anecdotally, if some of you have the Dread Sovereign album for Doom, The Bell Tolls, um, which I must still, you know, um, congratulate myself on, on uh, an incredible title, thanks to me. Yes, congratulations to me, pats on the back to me. Self-praise is no praise, but within that record you can find the death warrant of Sarah Wildes Averill, the first woman who was hung at Salem during the Salem witch trials. Is she an ancestor? Is she a relation? Possibly, who knows? Certainly she came from the same area of that England as some of my ancestors. You do the math. Anyway, her death warrant is inside 
the um, CD booklet, I think, and also inside the vinyl booklet. Random nonsense, but that's what you're here for on a Tuesday. Um, this coming Friday, I will be doing a big report about Beyond the Gates Festival in Norway, um, one of the greatest festivals in the world, in one of the loveliest, prettiest, um, but rather rainy and um, grey and overcast towns. Is it a town or a city? I suppose it's somewhere between uh, cities in the world. Up in northern Norway, there'll be lots of reports about all the um, the great things there, um, least of which was the quiz, which me and Eric from Watain presided over, but we'll get into that. Anyway, what I wanted to do is, because most of you are, I guess, in the thrall of the summer culture, you've probably made your choices. I would imagine they're more expensive choices than they were a couple of years ago, but I'm not really going to get into the economics of it. Um, I'm sure you've seen an awful lot of the chaos that's happening in airports all around the world. Um, but most of you are um, going from festival to festival in Germany. Um, and what I wanted to maybe share with you was my first ever festival experience. And I mean, the festival now, the festival experience now, especially if you w- listen to my podcast um, about Hellfest, about Five Finger Death Punch, but the what they have built, for example, at Hellfest if you compare it to a festival in the 1980s, the 1970s, I mean, you can watch, I think, on Netflix right now, a docu-series about the disaster that was Bloodstock 99, which descended into complete chaos, a slightly different kind of chaos than the Bloodstock of the uh, late 60s, but it descended into complete chaos, and festivals have changed so much, such uh, by, you know, an incredible measure. Now, of course, some of them have um, become super expensive, they have now become a little bit draconian, a little bit more security, that kind of thing. But by and large, that's predominantly maybe more of a North American thing, I think. And um, they have also, of course, they feel do feel some of them more corporate. But for every corporate huge festival, you also have some great small boutique festivals that are happening at the same time. So, you know, you have a lot of choice. You can go to, you know, if you're in Germany, you can go to Kester Sens or Rachen der Eichen or In Flammen Open Airties. Very cool 1,000 to 2,000 size festivals that are in really nice areas, you know. Um, or you can go do the, you can do the huge 70,001 um, at Wacken if you want. I've done both over the last couple of years and also festivals that are one or two or 300. And by and large, there are very few that I've really disliked. But in the 1980s, um, many Irish people just used to go to Donington. Donington was the big one, um, which I guess turned into download. It, it was retired for 10 or 15 years, but you can go and watch on YouTube. There is um, MTV reports from Donington. Well, that is until they kind of cut heavy metal off, um, kind of like stopping giving a teenage um, child their weekly bursary, their weekly money, whatever you want to say, your child support was cut off. They cut off heavy metal at the knees, um, which did in for a lot of the popularity of metal in the 1990s um, because MTV just kind of moved towards reality TV shows and all that kind of thing and predominantly just showing other kinds of music. And it had a big effect on popularity of metal. You can kind of see a direct correlation in the sales of bands from the 1990s um, up until a point that you can see their sound scan. Um, sound scan are the kind of, it's called the Nielsen sound scan. It marks the ch- or it charts the sales of bands. It's like a digital barcode scan. And it begins in about 1990. 
Um, and you can still see the sound scan sales of bands such as Overkill, um, King Diamond, Man of War, still in the USA scanning a couple of hundred thousand for each release and then all of a sudden it drops off a cliff. And part of that, of course, is grunge coming along, kind of kicking heavy metal in the head a little bit and music changing, lots of things changing, but also some part of it is that MTV just completely changed. And in the Mer- in America especially, this just altered um, the listening tastes of many people who might have otherwise come into the fold of heavy metal. Um, and it never really quite recovered sales-wise, um, at least not in the case of traditional metal, where things just sort of um, quietly shuffled off the radar. But I digress. In the 1980s, what you did is you took the bus um, from Dublin. You went across on the ferry between um, Ireland, which is Dunleary, um, to Holyhead in Wales, I would imagine. Or perhaps you went to Manchester or Liverpool. And then Donington is not that far from Manchester. And, you know, in those days, Donington, as I understand it, was like one big stage, one day, eight big bands. Um, There wasn't many... Um, you know, there wasn't many deviations from that. I think eventually some festivals began to have two stages, but in the beginning they were just at one stage. You faced the stage, you pissed where you could, you ate chips and you bought cheap beer. And that was kind of it. And you took the bus home um, and you got the night ferry and you didn't fuck around. And there wasn't glamour. There was no glamping. There was no <laughs> nothing like this. If any of you have been to an incredible festival like Metal Days in Slovenia, um, the level of luxury... Um, and beauty that's involved as well. If you've got one of those wooden uh, glamping huts down by the river that passes through in Slovenia. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, not th- there was no airs and graces, shall we say, back then. It was literally, you went. Also back then, the tradition in the 1980s was people just pissed in the bottles that they were drinking out of and then flung them at the bands if they didn't like them. Um, you can watch footage of Twisted Sister, I think, from Donington, 81 or 82, um, and people not taking kindly to their image, shall we say, and just flinging bottles of piss at them. Um, it was a tradition that thankfully has ended somewhere around about 89, 90. But that was traditionally what people did. They ate chips, got pissed up, uh, looked at one stage, and it was not a place of glamour. There's no glamping. There's nothing like this. Um, and it just got me thinking when I was at Beyond the Gates and some of the other festivals recently, what was my first festival experience i mean i was too young to maybe go to donnington there was donnington we start what we used to do is we used to take the ferry across um to hollyhead and then take the train down at night to london and we used to go and see some of the early 90s black and death metal shows um off the top of my head there was like cradle of filth um death morbid angel moonspell typo negative dissection ancient rites um, those are the kind of shows that um, bunches of us used to go and see. And there'd be 15, 20, sometimes 25 of us who would uh, t- you know, undertake this journey, which would have taken 14 or 15 hours to get to London. I think it cost about £30, which was a lot to scrape together back then. There was no rock or metal festivals in Ireland. There was one famous festival called Fela, um, which started sometime in the late 80s, which is hilarious if you look up the uh, first ever lineup for Fela. It was like as if a bunch of, um, you know, 60-year-old members of the local parish, the local parish community said, oh, God, we better do something for young people um, or they'll get up to divilment and we better give them something back, some form of entertainment. And I think the headliners of that very first Fela were Van Morrison and Christa Berg, yes, the man who wrote Lady in Red, because that's what young people were 
um, desiring. That's what they wanted to hear to scratch that itch that they had, scratch the itch of youth. Um, well, that's partly what has got so many of you into so many monkeypox-style problems, I would imagine. However, yes, um, <laughs> the trip to tip was kind of notorious, just where young Irish people went to get pissed in a field. And if there was something that they broadly related to that was booked for them, then they kind of had a look in the same direction. Um, it points to an incredibly sort of naive era of Irish society, um, an interesting era of Irish society musically, which I would have to say is um, particularly awful, i.e. the mid to late 80s. Um, it embodies an incredibly sort of soporific, vaguely, pathetic musical output um something happens the four of us all this kind of awful dreadful bands that we had none with any um grit or a bit of teenage um angst you know or any kind of teenage kicks um anyway bit of bit of undertones reference there for you what am I talking about? Anyway, yeah, the trip to tip. I went once to that in the early 90s, but we didn't buy a ticket and we didn't go in because none of us were interested in the bands. But it was down in Cork. Um, I can't remember the name of the stadium. Um, and we all just hung around the campsite, basically getting into trouble, um, annoying the Hare Krishnas and just generally getting drunk and falling around the place. But I'd never actually been um, to any sort of a festival with a lineup of any bands that I was remotely interested in. So you just didn't go in to see the music. I can't even remember who did even play the trip to tip that I went to. It was a kind of a rite of passage for teenagers in Ireland growing up to go to the trip to tip, as it was called. You can see some um, documentaries about it online, and it's a very, very different Ireland that you may see back then. Um, you know, it certainly is not without its charm. It's at this point that I would recommend um, some of you listening uh, um, an Irish TV show called Reeling in the Years, the same name as the Steely Dan song, um, just called Reeling in the Years. And all of them, I think, are on YouTube. And it's a really, really interesting. Um, there's Reeling in the Years, I think, from about 1970 all the way up to 1990. And they just basically document the year in politics, in music, um, not only in Irish society, but in broader society. And it's quite um, incredible and really, really well done. Reeling in the Years, yeah. I'm not going to try and sing you a little bit of a Steely Dan song. But we'd been to gigs, of course, and, you know, travelled here and there. But I don't think people really understand how much Ryanair blew open the doors of our um, perception, or whatever you want to call it. It was the first um, way any of us were able to reach the mainland of Europe for, uh, you know, cheap flights. The year of cheap flights, which we can see now, maybe is coming to an end as we knew it. Um, flights now are kind of moving back into the place they existed socially and culturally in the 1970s and 1980s, as in kind of beyond a lot of people. I know, like I said, if you've been listening to the podcast lately, there's been quite a few instances of flights where I've just had a look um, and they've been three, four, five, six hundred euro. And you've probably seen that, you know, kind of you go, oh God, I'd really love to go to that festival. I wonder how much it costs. It's on this weekend. And once upon a time, and now I'm going to tell you once upon a time, once upon a time doing that, you could find maybe a cheap alternative. Now you're you're looking at four or five hundred euro in some cases. However, what people don't realize is how Ryanair kind of blew open the cartel that was the um, airline industry and allowed people for the very first time um, cheap ways to get to sunshine spots and also to see some else something else of the world to broaden their perception broaden their understanding and for the first time um you know pale 
uh, lobster-shouldered Irish people were able to go to um, Greece or to go to Italy or to go to many of these countries without it costing an arm and a leg and having to remortgage their um, their caravan or their cottage or wherever they may have lived in the past under a bridge. I don't know, but uh, you know, Ryanair can't be it can't be understated the importance of Ryanair. And sure enough, uh, me and my friend. Uh, Mr. Dara O'Leary from Invictus Productions, who you probably know from some of his stellar underground releases. But we were sitting around somewhere in 1997 and we didn't get to Dynamo 96. Dynamo 96 was the Venom reunion where 100,000 people um, saw Venom. I think... I'm not really too can't really remember who else played, but there's a there's a video of the chaotic Venom performance, and um, it was such a big deal. The fact that Venom, think about it now, Venom headlined Dynamo '96 over all of those bands uh, that were popular in the mid '90s. That you can see if you watch one of those old Donington shows in 1996, it will be the kind of horror of the early starts of this new metal or this sort of. Um, you know, white zombie kind of stuff. Everything is just like that. All the traditional metal is gone. But in 1996, Venom comes back and Dynamo goes, yes, that's what we want to headline, um, 1996. So yeah, 1996, Monsters of Rock. And I knew, I was just about to say it before I just happened to open up a tab there. And I went, I bet you three colors red were playing because when we um, were kids, we every week in Kerrang, there seemed to be a band called Three Colors Red who were on the cover. But in 1996, yeah, I mean, Biohazard, Dog Eat Dog, Everclear, Fear Factory, Honey Crack, Kiss, inexplicably, Corn, Ozzy Osbourne, Pardis Lost, Sepultura, Type of Negative. Yeah, so you can see the kind of general level of kind of bullshit that was there. But yet in 1996, Dynamo Festival had decided, nah, it's going to be Venom for us, um, who never would have even been considered in their own home country in 1996. There was a war. <laughs> A war for your soul going on in the world of heavy metal in the mid-90s. And it was certainly being won by this sort of early onset of new metal. The sort of, um, well, you know, the bands you can see exemplified in this 1996 set list. And it kind of of is exemplified in a lineup like that. But I think that was the last year that Monsters of Rock actually happened in 1996. Ford came back. But anyway, so we didn't get to go to Dynamo 1996. And um, the next year, we talked about it, we talked about it, we talked about it. And this was when you could do things like that. We just decided, literally, the week before, I think it was even the weekend before, I wonder how much it's going to cost to go to Dynamo, to Dynamo 1997, which is in Holland, by the way. Um, And we got our dole. Yep, we were on the dole. Of course we were on the dole. Everybody in Ireland was on the dole. And we got our, you know, 40 pounds or whatever it was. Um, on the dole and looked up flights and you could fly to Eindhoven for 9.99 £9.99 and back I think for 10.99 so we just we managed to buy tickets I'm not sure how we did that because you certainly couldn't buy them over the internet at the time we might have even done it by phone I'm not really too sure but we had two tickets for Dynamo and a fl- and two flights and then about 30-40 pounds spending money and you were able to do that. You just went, right, let's let's go to Eindhoven. And we flew to Tilburg um, very early, usual red-eye flight. A day before, thought, right, we'll get there. There's going to be a huge street party. Um, 
everything is going to be, you know, we'll we'll find somewhere to sleep. Because we literally had, I'm not sure we even had a tent, as far as I remember. Um, I'm like, by these days standards, I don't think we barely had enough money to feed ourselves for the weekend. There were other Irish people going as well. Of course, there was a kind of gang of us that were heading over 10 or 15 people. But we were sort of independently decided to go early for the, you know, for the crack and the crack, the crack. That means C-R-A-I-C, which kind of means, I don't know, the, the festivities, the fun in Irish. So we get there, we fly over and we think to ourselves, all right, we get the train down to, um, you know, Eindhoven train station. It's going to be metalheads everywhere. Sure enough, we arrive uh, sometime in the evening and nothing, just empty. Uh, everywhere is empty. And I don't think we even had enough money for a hotel. Uh, and we sort of wandered around the place disconsolately thinking to ourselves, okay, this is not a great start. Um, we figured, oh yeah, you know, we're, you know, you're young men, you figure you'll find some method of ill repute that might give you a roof over your head for the evening. You know, you're, you're, you're buoyed with a sense of kind of like young male optimism. Well, that was, (laughs) that was clearly, uh, most definitely snuffed out. Uh, and, uh, passing policemen sort of took interest in us sitting around doing nothing at the train station, looking like two tired vagrants, and sort of said, oh, guys, what are you what, what are you doing? What are you playing? You can't just, uh, you know, hang out at the train station all night. And we thought, um, that was an, an, an attempt at a Dutch accent. And we sort of went, oh, well, we got nowhere to stay, blah, blah, blah. And I had this little black book, which was full of addresses and contacts of, you know, pen pals from different bands and that kind of thing. Um, I'm probably pretty sure I used it to kind of show off to people like, yeah, hey, see, I have a little book which has, um, you know, the address of, uh, uh, you know, dissection or mayhem or, or some people I was writing a couple of letters to. And the police officer says, well, have you got any Dutch addresses there? And I had one or two. And one was, if you guys know the band um, Occult, they are now or well, partly they are Legion of the Damned. Anyway, they became Legion of the Damned. But back in those days, Occult had a um, a great demo, uh, Prepare for War, I think Prepare to Meet Thy Doom. I'm not really too sure, but their demo was was and is uh, one of the best um, one of the best demos from back at that time. And uh, Primordial had played, I think, in 1994 or five a show with Occult um, with uh, in London, and you know made friends with them and everything. You should really go and uh, check out this occult demo anyway. Um, and the policeman called, took us into the police, uh, you know, into the police station. And he goes, I will call him for you and make sure you got somewhere to stay. And poor old Maurice from Occult was called by uh, a Dutch cop and went, yeah, I got two friends of yours here. Can you come in? And g-? I'm going to stop doing the accent. Um, basically asked him. Uh, or more or less told him, you got to come in and get these two vagrants. Can you? And so uh, he put put it in in his little car, pretty pissed off because I think he had worked the next day um, and wasn't going to the festival to collect these two vague, well, one Irish pen pal and then some other just hanger on um, and go and give them somewhere to stay so they didn't have to stay on the streets all night. Um, he wasn't entirely impressed with this, but um, we, me and him had a good conversation with this and at Gef- I think Gefle Metal Festival in Sweden recalling this kind of, um, well, this Dutch cop intervening, shall we say, to give us somewhere to stay. And next day morning, we're woken up at 6 a.m., 7 a.m. You got to get the fuck out of my house. And we went down to the train station or went down to the train station and there was already 
I think because we were so early, we were right to the front of the queue. But that year's Dynamo 97, I think, had about 60 or 70,000 people. And it felt like all of them were descending on that train station that morning. Um, it was insane. And none of us had really experienced anything like the size of this. To see 50, 60,000 people in the field all at one time um, when you're uh, whatever fucking age I was, um, 22 or something like this, 1997. Yeah, you do the math. I've said how after how I've used my um, age as reference points throughout this podcast. You guys do the math. Early 20s. But just to see 50, 60,000 metalheads all together. And now in fairness, Dynamo's structure back then was pretty bloody professional. So there was, of course, food courts and merch courts and all those kind of things everywhere. Um, and just that feeling of anticipation when you stood in front of that. There was a couple of tent stages and went, my God, we're going to actually see... Um, I think the first band we saw was Sundown, who were ex-Cemetery, who I have a, have a, a bit of a soft spot for. Um, they have, um, what's the some album called? Something Streams of Grey. Anyway, they have one album called Godless Beauty, which is a sort of precursor to sort of um, death and roll, doom and roll or whatever. But um, we'd never really seen anything like it. And that afternoon in the tent, I think the first band that we were all big fans of we saw was Sentenced. Um, for example, but just looking back through the, um, I'm just looking at the, uh, you know, the list of bands here now, right? Machine Head. Yeah. Limp Biscuit played and they weren't big yet. They just opened, they opened one of the stages. Marilyn Manson played. And I remember Marilyn Manson spent most of the time insulting the crowd, people flinging mud at them, jumping on the drums, a complete mess. Um, quite entertaining to watch, but a complete mess. Um, Moonspell. Yeah. Moonspell were there. Uh, Orphanage, old Dutch doom metal band, pissed on. Uh, yeah, they seem to be everywhere back in the day. Samael played one of the best shows. I think, um, with the greatest respect to Samael, their shows now compared to what they used to be, ah, maybe it's age and everything, but those shows back then were huge. And there was a massive lightning storm while Samael were playing and lit up the inside of the tent. And they were, you know, um, I think Z would just started using the stand-up drums and they were playing passage material and it was, uh, yeah, it was crushing. One of the best shows. Sentenced were great. Sick of it all. Skin Lab, uh, SNFU, Slow Burn, um, whatever that is. Um, short-lived, oh, yeah, John Garcia. There you go. Um, and we'd never really seen anything like it. I remember we barely had enough money for to, to buy a couple of things of chips uh, oh, I can see Amorphous, Cold Chamber, Cradle of Filth played, Entombed. Oh, God, I forgot about Entombed. Exodus, the Reformation Exodus, and their first show back. And I just remember the the intro to Bonded by Blood coming down the field and us running, running, because you were so excited to see Exodus back then. And then getting to the front and going, ah, oh, they don't look like they do on the back of Bonded by Blood. There was no spandex and inverted crosses. And Paul Balaf was wearing a hockey kind of outfit, which kind of disgusted me. Um, somebody was wearing kind of colored jumper and I think Gary Holt was wearing a bag on his back and I was pretty disgusted. Corn played. Um, and if I'm not incorrect, and um, one night was headlined by Tiamat. Tiamat, a band who seemed to have now spectacularly mismanaged their career, sadly, but they were huge back then, massive, and they had this big light show with lasers and all sorts of stuff. Uh, incredible. Uh, typo negative, Testament, Therion. Yeah, yeah, I was not into Therion. Sundown, there you go. Yeah, I see. There they are. Um, Totenmond, Vision of Disorder, um, Within Temptation. Yeah, and that was it. That was the lineup for 
1997, I remember running into the record fair um, and spending like £20 of my £30 um, you know, we, weekend money on an, a Candlemas 12-inch and a picture disc of Celtic Frost or something back when they were £10 each and telling Dara, who didn't have the money even to go into the record fair, dude, don't go in there. It will break your heart. Every record you ever wanted is there everywhere, everywhere you look. <laughs> and still to this day, we talk about it, you know. Um, and I, I'm pretty sure that somewhere or other we found, managed to find a tent of somebody or other to stay in. One night it rained a lot. So I think we had no choice. Um, I don't remember the entirely the circumstances of how we managed to find somewhere to stay. But for three nights in a row, uh, we managed to uh, Irish wit and charm our way into somewhere to stay. I seem to remember being huddled in some wet pool of a tent um, at the time. I won't say who was the big spoon or the little spoon, but something certainly worked out. And we were able to do the entire weekend realistically for the ticket. Um, the, the, if you put the tickets um, and then you put the flight price and the money we spent on um, beer. I don't even know how we got drunk because we didn't have any money for um, beer either. It must have been £50. And that was the first ever time we'd ever been to a festival. And it was an incredible experience to be able to see that many metalheads. When, when I look back at it, there's no really traditional metal on the bill. There was no Judas Priests. There was no Iron Maidens. That kind of stuff hadn't really come back in vogue. In the mid-90s, those bands were kind of out of vogue, so to speak. It wasn't until I went to Dynamo 98 where you start to see Saxon and stuff start to appear on the bill and then Iced Earth. People don't really realise what Hammerfall, Glory to the Brave was kind of hitting at this moment. And it brought back an awful lot of traditional metal um, with it in its slipstream but in 95 96 it was really the kind of beginnings of new metal an awful lot of sad music on the bill not, and i mean sad melancholic sort of gloomy music which would never get popular now but things like as i said typo negative tiamat um these were you know there's an awful lot of moonspell etc kind of sad bands on the bill and yeah true enough um that kind of music had its moment right there that sort of century media goth rock vibe kind of ruled over Dynamo 97 and we returned home and um, bedraggled um, you know uh, dirty and stinking no doubt but that first festival experience um, is really really quite an incredible thing and when I was at Hellfest watching the Five Finger Death Punch car crash it really struck me that if you were the same age as I was here or 18, 19, 20 Hellfest would blow your mind it really would blow your mind. And you realize uh, that the festival culture of heavy metal is really what just, it's, it's the scene's lifeblood now because um, the commercial or mainstream um, opportunities that were open to bands in the 80s and 90s are just gone. And in the mainstream, as I said in a podcast a few weeks ago, um, rock has no purchase in the mainstream anymore. But as long as there are still festivals and touring, especially festivals, this is the kind of social um, cultural lifeblood of the scene in Europe and it's what has supported metal for 20 years in um, I think or 25 years you know from the most small killer boutique festivals like I said from the Chaos Descends all the way to the Hellfests they have v lots of different things that you can enjoy about them to varying degrees um, lots of different angles different kind of bands yeah you can see at Chaos Descends you can see Blasphemy and then see Hawkwind for example I mean how glorious is that but that was our first ever festival experience and we did it for, we did it on a dime. 
Um, and the uh, the key to the yeah, the key to the gate to get to Dynamo Festival '97 was Ryanair. There you go, an Irish company. Huh? You've a lot to thank them for. That's the end of Tuesday's ramble, rock and roll ramble. Just the first ever festival I went to, um, and the ridiculous experiences and bands that we saw. Um, and if you're listening to this, thinking, "God damn it, I'd like to advertise on this show." Sure enough, hit me up in the DMs because um, we have we. I say we. That's like um, the you know the the royal we. Um, there's a there's a captive audience there, and you can hit me up in DMs and advertise your tattoo shop, your band, your song, your single, your album, your your uranium enriching plant, your coal town mining plant, whatever you want. My friends, Tuesday's random rock and roll ramble is. My first festival experience until Friday when I'll get a little bit more into detail about Beyond the Gates in Norway and all that kind of thing. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Want truly hydrated skin? Meet Osea's Body Care Breakthrough, Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER.